I want to thank Tyndale for this opportunity to preach. It's been about two years since the last time I spoke here at chapel. And I've had the privilege of being both a student and a staff member, and also being both on the old campus as well as the new campus. And yesterday after work, I drove actually to the old Ballyconner campus just to have a stroll down memory lane. And as you know, it's not really much left now. It's just a piece of rubble. But I walked around and I reflected in all the fond memories that I've had. And there are two that really come to my mind. The first one that really strikes me was the old chapel that we had. Do you remember that? The bright red carpet decor and the tapestry that was hung up. You had the comfortable movie theater chairs and how everyone sat really close and intimately next to one another, right next to the stage, such in a way that we were all in a way that we could see everyone and each other and, well, they could see you back. And you could really see even who came to chapel and who didn't. <laughs> well, that's one memory. And, but there's another one that really came up to my mind, and that was the courtyard in the middle of the campus. Now, really, that was only when the weather was nice, but I do remember those green plastic picnic chairs something that, you, you, that just came out of Home Depot or something. And they're actually still on this campus, too. But really, not just the furniture, but really the opportunity that we could just come out into the sun, take a break, whether it be a lunch or a long afternoon. There was always somebody to strike a conversation with. You had the staff be there, whether they be on their lunch or their break. You had the faculty who were most often just talking with the students that they were teaching. And then you also had the students, too, who were also on their lunch break or skipping class or whatever. But in both instances, in the chapel and the courtyard, I really sensed that there was a deep community within. And in some ways that we were Christians that were on the same journey of discovering God. And that to me, and from what I gather, talking with countless of staff, faculty, and students even on this campus in preparation for this sermon was really what I would call the defining feature of the Ballyconner campus. And let me ask you this. Does your heart still long for that golden years that we had at Ballyconner? Do you still wish at some time you could jump into a time machine and we could live back those, those, those 15 or 10 years that we had at Ballyconner? That brings me today to the today's sermon here at Haggai 2, 1 to 5. And I really think that the Jews back then were facing a very similar situation to ours. Not one-to-one, -one, but very similar. And so let's take a look at the timeline in here in Haggai. It's around 520 BC, 521. You have a remnant of Jews returning back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and start new lives. Well, that's a little bit different from today's world because we're, we're not really rebuilding a temple from scratch, are we? But then again, in some ways, we are building something new, are we not? And at first, these Jews coming, they're enthusiastic and they're optimistic in their outlook. I mean, it's about, been about 60 years since they've come back to this land. And they're coming back to Jerusalem. And they must have heard of all the beautiful stories and grand stories from their parents. I mean, the temple back then, you have to think about the times of Solomon. That's what the temple was like back then. 
It was beautiful. It was grand. It was magnificent. And I do feel that in some ways with the old campus too. It was magnificent and grand in its own cozy way. But when they shortly came, shortly after their arrival, they came to a very different picture, didn't they? These Jews, they came back to a place that was totally abysmal. The walls were ruined. The temple was, well, there was nothing left of it. If anything, it was just burnt wood. The place was just absolutely desolate. Very few people were, were there. And I can't help but wonder, when we came to this campus, how we may have felt that we may have discovered that things weren't really all that they were cut out to be, and we had to do a lot of work to repair what we were given. And you see, when these people came, they, they came to rebuild the temple and settle down, but they shortly soon faced a lot of opposition and a lot of discouragement from people on the outside, people telling them that they wouldn't finish the temple, that they didn't have the resources, I could imagine. And all this progress began to weary the people, and they began pursuing their own comforts and prosperity. I can't wonder, but us here, when we start to discover things getting sour, that, well, usually people start flocking toward greener pastures, don't they? It's very much similar to our own situation, isn't it? When things are troubling. And so God sent the prophets Zechariah and Haggai to encourage the people. And that's where I guess I come in here. I've titled this sermon, A New Hope. Really, the focus of this message is one of hope and encouragement for you people who may feel discouraged. And what is that hope you might ask? Well, I'll answer that near the end of the sermon. But let's look at our passage. It's Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. I'm just going to start with verses 1 and 2. If you'll read with me again, Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. On the first day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shetil, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them. Well, Haggai, I suppose in modern terms that would be me, the prophet who's speaking the word of the Lord. And then Zerubbabel, well, I guess that would be our president and fearless leader, Dr. Gary Nelson, the one who makes the most important decisions. By the way, welcome back. You've got Joshua, the high priest. I tend to think of that as the faculty, those who are, you could say, consecrated and set apart to do God's high calling to teach his people. And in some sense, I know most of you are just going through that phase of submitting your final grades. In a way, the priest who offers sacrifice and atonement for the people, that's your students, you have to labor and submit your final grades, do you not? As a form of atonement. <clears throat> and then you've got the remnant. I suppose that's the rest of us, isn't it? The staff and the students. Those who live more common everyday lives. But in some ways, also chosen and called by God to do his will. And in the Hebrew, the word remnant can refer also to those who are the surviving members, those who have been freed, uh, who, those who are free citizens as opposed to those who are slaves. And I want you to think of it that way, that we are in a way all remnants of the, fam- the church of God. Haggai, verses two, sorry, Haggai 2 verses 3. Let's move on. But who of you is left 
who saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Well, this temple, perhaps I could say this institution, this place of worship, this place of study. And I don't want us to glance over this verse too quickly because I reflected on this for a long time and I think I know why God had asked us, is asking us these seemingly backwards questions. I really wish my tone could capture what God is really trying to say right here in verse 3. And the best way I think I can explain this is in this way. In Haggai 1.4, God asks another question. Is it right for you to live in richly paneled houses while my temple is in ruin? It's a question of rebuke, a question of challenge. And then Haggai 2 comes along and well, the people are starting, are, they pick up the work, but they begin to be discouraged. And they think about the glory days and what it was like and what it may have been like. And I think in Haggai 2, it's not a, now God is not asking one of rebuke, but he's really asking questions of comfort and that God is really trying to meet people where they are, where they feel. You see, there's an old man in my church. He, he always tells me that God is not like a taskmaster. He isn't trying to force us to work for his kingdom. He's not harsh on us. And I want to encourage you that God knows exactly how you feel in this time of transition. That God knows about the layoffs. He knows about our financial struggles. God knows about the enrollment numbers and how many of you don't feel very secure right now in your workplace. And as I think about it, even if God were to, to take all those away, take all, those, all our financial worries away, that's only a band-aid solution. And that the root cause is what God is really getting at. The root cause is really our fear of the unknown, is it not? The fear of not being in control of our lives. The fear that we are living or that we aren't living our lives for eternity. Isn't that really what our troubles are trying to point us to? And really, the only way we're going to get a solution for our fears, as I believe, is when we're in God's presence. See, we're really not looking for answers here. As I've found, most of often, we're really just in need of comfort. And that's what I think Haggai 2, verses 3 is saying. It's a question, it, these are questions to comfort us that God is trying to enter into our solution. Let me read one more time, Haggai 2, verses 3. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? God, I believe, is entering into our problems. Haggai 2, verses 4. You see, if we're comforted by God, we can move on. If we know that God's presence is with us, we can move on. Haggai 2, verses 4. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. In the Hebrew, to be strong, it means to take heart in other translations. To be encouraged. 
to stand firm, to be secure, steadfast, or rigid. And let me ask you this. With all these things that have happened here in this new campus, do you, are you secure? Do you feel secure in your faith? Do you feel steadfast in your faith, rigid in your faith? Are you taking heart or are you encouraged by these words from the Lord? Because if you are, you'll be prepared to work. And that gives us a whole different perspective, doesn't it? Working for a sovereign God. You see, God put you here in a very specific place and time. And God is directing us, if you read verse 9, to a new splendor, a new temple. I've only focused talking about the possibilities of the old campus, haven't I? But have you ever thought about the new possibilities on this campus? You ever thought about that right now you could be impacting the life of a student? That aha moment that a student gets when they're reading and they're hearing something from their faculty? The fact that even as I listen to, as I've talked to, just on the seminary side alone, a lot of students, keep in mind, come because they may not feel like they're getting spiritually met at their own church, or they just want to grow more in their faith. Is that not worth the sacrificing we're making here? Have we, not, have we become too callous toward God's calling about what God is working at here? I think that is what the new splendor is. That is where God is taking us. And in Haggai 2, verses 5, it says this. It says, this is, what I've co- uh, this is what I've covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. I don't have any time really to go over that first bit about going out of Egypt. But I do have time about this little phrase right here. That God's spirit r- remains among us. As a word of comfort. I was sitting down with Dr. Kessler, and I, I know that his thesis was on Haggai, so you could call him the Haggai, Haggai man. And I really, I, I, I read this, and I had to sit down, and the first question I asked him, I said, Dr. Kessler, is that the Holy Spirit right there? Well, at the very least, he would argue, at least it's his presence. And I began to reflect God's presence as a way of comforting us. And I think about this verse right here. These are the words of Jesus, that his Holy Spirit that he sent with us is a marker of his presence. Let me read this. It's just John 14, 26 to 27. And he would say these words. Remember, in Haggai, it says, my spirit is among you. Do not fear. And Jesus would say something very similar, that the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Do not fear, do not be afraid. His Holy Spirit is with us. See, I think it all goes back full circle, doesn't it, to this topic of comfort. And I talked, and I said that the title of my sermon is A New Hope. That new hope. I'm not focusing on just the institution level, but I'm thinking about our hope in Christ. And I think about that song that just rises up in my heart. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is the light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, 
firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. I pray that would be your hope today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and we're going to end in a song, and I know James afterward will close off in a word of prayer.